Hello, Great Church. Here we are online, doing church online, facing a situation we've never faced before, this pandemic ravaging the world and lockdown, shutdown happening in many countries, us doing the social distancing, not really sure of how it's going to work out. But in all of this confusion, we have Jesus as the anchor of our soul. We have him as a sure foundation. And we want to talk about that today. We want to talk about how through the ages, churches, churches face things like this and has always come out of it strong, stronger than it went into it. Just finding more of the truths of the kingdom. We are we are people of the kingdom. Where we go, the kingdom comes. And I want to talk about what that means. What that means living through the seasons that we are living through. So we are starting a series called Beautiful Transformation. It's based on First Peter. And it talks about, or it's a letter rather, written to Christians who are undergoing trials and social upheaval. And it's a letter that could have been written to you and me. And so we want to spend some time talking through this book and just really delving into the word of God so that we can understand what God is doing in our midst and how to respond in a situation like this. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everyone tuned in. I thank you for everyone who's downloaded this preach. And I pray, Father God, that you would, you would do something great in our hearts, Lord God. Speak to us, set us free from any fear, from anything that would keep us from being exactly who you mean us to be in the situation. Reveal more of yourself to us, show us your ways. So as I said, we are starting a series called Beautiful Transformation, talking about lessons from the first letter of the Apostle Peter. So Peter, he was, he was that man in the New Testament, in the Gospels, who who was always doing spectacular things and then not so great. He walked on the water and then he sank. He made that amazing proclamation about Jesus that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. When Jesus asked, who do you say I am? He responded with that magnificent, magnificent statement. And Jesus commends him for it. Shortly after that, Jesus is having to rebuke him and saying, get behind me, Satan, because now he's making dumb remarks. It's like he's on the highs and the lows. He's inconsistent. He's impulsive. He's great one moment, not so great one moment. And yet, when we encounter him in the book of Acts, he's something else. He's a strong, consistent leader who's walking out the tenets of Jesus Christ in a way that's magnificent and that we would all want to follow. Peter experienced two things in his life that I think are so relevant to us today. And they enabled him to write this book of First Peter from personal experience and from great personal authority. First of all, he had experienced some great cultural upheavals. So one of those was that he had been born into a Jewish community that was very Jewish-centric. They, they loved everything Jewish. They isolated themselves from non-Jews. They, they promoted Judaism. They loved it. They lived it. And yet when Jesus came, he began to break down those barriers. And we see how God had to come to Peter in a vision and actually break him out of that, that social isolation, so to speak. And open his eyes to the fact that God wants all people from all nations to come into the faith of Jesus Christ. And so he had that magnificent vision in Acts 10. And you think that would have done it for him. You think that would have been enough to break him out of the old way into something new. But no, 
we read in Galatians 2, Paul rebukes him and says, you know what, you, you were fine at one stage, but now when, when people come and criticize you and, and say different things and, and ask you why you're eating with Gentiles, suddenly you go back to the old ways. Suddenly you're defensive and you, you're bringing out your old culture. We know that Peter remedied things because in Acts 15, there was this council in, uh, where they were basically debating this very point. Should the gospel go to the Gentiles? Should it go to non-Jewish people? Should it go to people outside of the Jewish faith? And Peter stands up and makes a magnificent speech in which he, which he says, yes, yes, the gospel must go to those outside of the Jewish faith. So he's had this remarkable cultural transformation and this change in his life. But also Peter has faced incredible trials. Acts 1.8 talks about a persecution that came on the church in Jerusalem where Peter was. He was part of the leadership of that church at that stage. At that stage, probably, probably pretty much leading it. And so the, this persecution came and it talks about how the Christians were scattered. And they were scattered into Gentile areas, fled Jerusalem because of this persecution. Peter and the other apostles stayed in Jerusalem and endured this great persecution. But he'd seen the people he loved, his close family, friends, just scattered far away and have to go and build these new lives and undergone this persecution. In addition, Peter himself had been imprisoned for his faith. One of the other leaders of the church by the name of James had just been martyred, killed, bam, just like that. Um, and they were coming after the leaders of the church. And Peter was rounded up and taken into prison. He didn't know if he was going to live to see another day. There he is in prison, facing the fear and the terror and the, the prospect of death. And yet, in that time, God came and rescued him. It says an angel knocked him in the middle of the night and woke him up and opened the prison and he walked out free. So he had, Peter was a man who had faced trials and seen God's triumph within those trials. He had also faced cultural upheaval and just transform, having to transform his mind. And he'd seen God come through for him in that. So he's writing to a group of Christians that have been scattered in that persecution. And he's writing in 1 Peter, he calls, them, he calls them exiles and people of the dispersion. What I love about that is he's using a very Jewish term that they used to describe people who had, who had been dispersed. But it, were, it was only use of Jewish people, really. And yet Peter uses it of Jews and Gentiles. And it's just an indication of how Peter has made this transition from a Jewish centered kind of people to, uh, to embracing all kinds of nations. But indeed, these people are facing cultural upheaval. They are exiles in different nations, having to start over, having to, ha having to uh, begin their businesses again, find new work, find places, uh, new relationships, new community. These people are also challenged in trials. Peter talks to them in, in the first chapter, he talks about the various trials that are coming upon them. And it wasn't just one trial, it was various trials. 
And then he talks about in chapter four, he talks about this fiery trial that is about to come upon them. So in other words, there's something big coming, he says, but don't worry, you're going to make it. It's going to be good. This is how you must live as Christians in light of everything you're facing. And this is a book to us in this, in this season. So we're going to start in verse one of the first chapter. We're going to read the first nine verses of the book. And then we're going to talk about the truth we see there. First of all, it starts, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perished, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The first point I want to make is that we have a secure future. As Peter was writing to those people, he used two phrases that are just lovely for me. He says, you are born again into a living hope. In other words, what, it, what you're facing is, is tough and difficult. It's various trials that have come upon you. But you remember, you're born again into a living hope. Born again into a living hope. What does he mean? It means you've chosen Jesus. And in that time, you became a new person. You started life over. You've got a, a fresh start on life. And in that fresh start, you have a living hope. Not just a hope that's a pie in the sky thing that might happen. It's a living, vibrant, alive hope. It's a relationship with Jesus that is guaranteeing something to come. It's a hope that is dwelling in you. And it's not static. It's constantly speaking to you. The voice of the Holy Spirit inside of you speaking to you of the great hope that your future has. He talks about an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. You have a secure future, an inheritance that cannot be messed with by coronavirus. You have a future that cannot be undermined by your circumstances, because God has guaranteed it. Do you think God is taken by surprise by what's going on in the world? Do you think God is taken by surprise by what is going on in your world? The promises he made to you, he knew what was coming, so they still stand. He's not like, oh my gosh, we've got to revise all of those, all of those promises and those declarations I made of them, all those uh, future I promised them. Oh, gosh, we've got to revise that because we didn't take into account what's happening now. No, of course not. You have, you have a future, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. It can't be undermined. What God spoke to you in the past is still true. It's still true. Believe again. Take out those old promises. War with them. Stand on them. No matter what is happening around you, God has, God has said what he said and he will do what he will do. 
Stand on them, believe them, take them, war with them. We have a secure future. You know what we are facing right now with this pandemic that's kind of touching the whole world. It's not kind of touching the whole world. It is touching the whole world. For us, this is something out of the blue, totally new, something we haven't experienced before. But throughout human history, that's not true. This kind of thing has happened approximately every hundred years since in the, in the history that we know about. In the second century, there was something called the Antonine Plague. We have records mostly from Rome, but, but from some other places of what it was like. It was probably smallpox. And in this time, the, the population of Rome was probably decimated by a quarter. It's estimated that from the writings and from what historians can gather is that about 2,000 people a day were dying from this plague. Then we have something in the third century, which is called the Cyprian Plague. And at this time, it was even worse. And when they, oh gosh, they, they make descriptions of this disease. It sounds horrific. I mean, I don't even want to describe it because I think, I th I think you, you would make you feel a bit nauseous. But, but needless to say, like parts of your body just started rotting away. And it was just, it was, it was horrible disease. And people were dying like flies. Again, estimates for deaths in Rome were about 5,000 a day. It's, it's said that the population of Rome was, was reduced by up to 62%. Of course, they can't tell exactly, but those are the estimates. I mean, it was decimating society. But here's the beautiful thing, is that it was, these two plays were some of Christianity's greatest and finest hours. The church stood up and was counted. The church ran into the problem. It ran and said, here, we have the answer. We have the answer. They nursed the sick. They buried the dead. They loved the lonely. They adopted the orphans. They, they obeyed Jesus' injunction to love your neighbor as you love yourself, to not love your life even unto death. They they were sincere devotion, excuse me, severe devotees of Jesus, and they followed his example to love unconditionally the people around him, around them. Now, you, as you would imagine, they had no idea of germ theory in those days, so they didn't do any kind of good hygiene. They didn't wash their hands. They didn't wear masks. They didn't keep distance. They didn't do the things we know to do now. So as a result, they were severely affected by those plagues. So the, the number of cases of those plagues in the Christianity, in the Christian communities was very high. Of course, we, we can run in and help people and be safe and hygienic and follow good, good hygiene practices and, and reduce the amount of infections, but they didn't know that. And as a result, they, they suffered quite, quite severely these plagues in the amount of infections that they had. But here's the wild thing, is that in Christian communities, the death rate amongst Christians was much lower. Some people estimated it was only 10% of the death rate found in other communities. Another startling, startling fact is that the death rate across the board was 50% lower in cities and towns where there were Christian communities. In other words, having Christians in your midst made a difference. 
Why? Because we are carriers of the kingdom. Where we go, the kingdom comes. There is a war between the kingdom of death and the kingdom of life. And where we go, we bring a new environment that changes things. A world in rebellion to God is facing calamities and difficulties. And we come with a message. We come not only with words, but we come with the power of God that is able to change environments, that has the answers, that answers not only the the cry of people's hearts, but answers the physical devastation that is happening. Why? Because we're part of something bigger, a victory that happened at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where death was destroyed, where sickness was put under his foot, where alienation and, and desolation was destroyed. That's the kingdom we carry. Do not fear church. Do not fear church. You're going, you're going to be wise in the way you interact with people and you're going to follow health protocols, but listen to me. Don't step back from the mandate we have. Don't step back from the mission we have because we are carrying something spectacular with us as we go. We are, we are carrying a kingdom that is imperishable. You carry with you that inheritance that is imperishable. You have a secure future, so you need not fear. God, the promises he's made are the promises he will keep. You can stand firm and secure on this. As he told you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you've received, freely give. Go do that. Go do that. He has some interesting quotes from historians. Rodney Stark said this. He said, Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent problems. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and windows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. This is us, church. We change things. The Bishop of Alexandria, a, name by the, a man by the name of Dionysius, said this. He said, most of our brothers and Christians, he was writing during the first plague I spoke of, most of our brothers... Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attended to their every need and ministered to them in Christ. A non-Christian emperor by the name of Julian, a century after the Cyprian plague, said this of Christians. He was very disparaging. He didn't like them particularly. And he said this, for it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever had to beg and the impious Galileans, meaning the Christians, support both their own poor and ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. In other words, there's a stark contrast between the Christian community and the non-Christian community. Church, let us be Let it be true that there's a stark contrast between us and the unbelievers around us. Faithful, joyful capacity to help and serve the people around us, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Rodney Stark again spoke about how this, how how during these two plagues, I haven't mentioned this, but it's so important. Not only were the Christians the most successful communities during these plagues, During those times, that second and third century plagues, Christianity exploded. Why did it explode like that? 
because people needed hope. They were faced with this, this terrible, these terrible situations and they were saying, what is our future? And Christianity came and said, here's your future. Trust in Jesus Christ in your own capacity. You don't have ability to weather the storm, but here is an anchor in Jesus Christ. Here is a future that is firm and secure. Here is a new way of living that will transform your environment and people flock to it. Rodney Stark says of the Christians and the explosion of Christianity at that time, he explains it by saying it was because Jesus' followers projected a hopeful, even enthusiastic portrait of the future. We have a secure future. Live like your future is secure. Live knowing that God is with you and his promises are true. Last of all, I want to make this point that Peter, as he was speaking to these people who are facing very difficult times, he spoke like this in verses 7 and 8. He said, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In other words, he's saying, when you're facing these times, look at the joy that is welling up in you. Why does joy well up, well up in us when we face trials? Because faith and joy are, are, are linked in a way that we don't often understand. I, I want to illustrate it with this story. Is that some time back, many years back, in our early marriage, Andrew and I bought a dining room suite. We scrimped and saved. I mean, it was our first big purchase. We, we really went out on a limb for this dining room suite, but I loved it. Loved it. It was a mahogany table, eight chairs, absolutely loved it. Got it home, lived with this dining room suite for a while, and the table was fantastic, but the chairs, I don't know. I, I, I think we, we were, were taken for a ride a little bit because those chairs didn't really stand well under being sat on. So what would happen? You'd be sitting on it and suddenly one leg would just like break out and the chair would collapse and you'd be thrown onto the floor. So it was a not really comfortable and good chairs. So Andrew, I have a really great husband, my husband, Andrew, who can fix anything. He would, once the chair had broken, I mean, he bolted them, glued them, fixed them together, made them work again, and we would, we would sit on them again. But this is what I would go through internally every time we had guests. We hosted a lot because we loved having people around. So we'd have people around for dinner and we would set the table. Everyone would be called to the table and they would be coming around. And I'd try and steer the guests towards one of our more secure chairs. But as they sat down, I would be holding my breath. Is that chair going to make it? Are they actually going to be held up by that chair? What was happening? The weight of our guests were testing the genuineness of Andrew's repairs. Now, the good news is, is repairs held up every time. Well done, Andrew. And they were proven to be great. And so when that man or that woman or that large person sat on that chair and the chair held, there was a certain level of joy that welled up in my heart because, oh my word, my, husband work, my husband's work works. You know, when we go through life and sometimes life sits on us like a heavy guest. You weren't expecting it, but this, this heavy thing lands on your lap, bam. And at that moment, the genuineness of your faith is tested. Will your legs stay standing? Will that chair of your life hold up under that weight? 
here's the beauty is that God is not surprised by any of these things happening. He knows exactly where your life is. And sometimes you yourself do not even know how lovely, glorious, strong, amazing, vibrant you are. And so sometimes God, God would allow something tough to happen. And when it happens and it sits on you and the great work that he has done in your life holds. It holds. You don't fall apart. Things don't just just disintegrate. It's tough and it's hard and you groan a little bit. Man, you hold up under that thing. And there's great joy because suddenly you realize you're stronger than you thought you were. Not because you're great, but because God has done a work in you. And suddenly you can see, oh my word, look at what God has done. Look at who I've become. I'm more than I thought I was. Oh my word, I thought I was a weak, unwise person. But now I see, gosh, God has done a good work in me. Of course, every now and then when life sits on you, you know, one of your legs crumples or, you know, you feel the weakness and you notice that your responses are not great or they're not what you'd hoped they would be. At the same time, that can lead you to joy because at the same time, you know, there's, there's a God who's going to come and fix your chair, just like Andrew fixed those chairs. The Holy Spirit is going to say, see, now you see that weakness. Will you allow me to come and help you in that place and make it strong? So it's, it's like life's difficulties test our faith, but they test our faith so that we can see who we've become in Jesus Christ. And as a result, we, we have joy rise up in us because we, we see the good work God has done in us. So Peter was saying, you can live in a joyful now. You are living in a joyful now. Church, we can live in a joyful now because all these trials are going to show is that God has been good to us. God has been strong in us. God is strong in us. So in conclusion, 1 Peter 1, 1 to 9, as we face the social upheaval and challenging trials of our time, a sense of, of a secure future and the reality of a joyful now will cause us to thrive. Lord, I want to pray for each and every person now. Lord God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit. Amen. I'm going to stop there because I want to pray for you again. I, I have some words of knowledge that I just want to pray for afterwards, but my great husband, who's the best chair fixer ever, is going to come and just share a few announcements with you. Hey, great family. That's right. As the chairman of this home, I get to share some great updates. I first want to update you with our property. We are really so excited about the fact that we've had an offer accepted and we are going to have a home of our own. And so you would have seen the updates we've been given in church over the last few weeks. Uh, we are trusting God for the following. That by April we have got 50,000 Rand a month coming in in new pledges. And uh, we are so excited. We've had 22 new pledges coming in, uh, totaling 13,180 Rand. So we are really calling on every single one of you watching this to, to trust God to show you what you can do if you have not yet pledged. We will have pledge forms available online. They will be available on our social media as well as our website. Please access one of those since we're not gathering publicly to have a physical form. And then we're also trusting God for donations to come in. Uh, we're raising loans from around the city where we've already raised 2.25 from around the city. But for us as Ramsic, we are trusting to raise 2 million of our own so that we'll be able to do up the facilities for us to meet there. And uh, so far we have raised 1.16 million. I think we can give the Lord an online hand for that. 
1.16 million trusts in Info2. And so again, once you just pray uh, what you can do with that. And then we have some quick announcements in terms of what we're going to be doing as a family together during the time that we're not gathering corporately. Every midday of the week, starting from next week, from 1230 onwards, we're going to be praying online. That's going to be on our Every Nation Facebook. It's going to be Facebook Live. So 12.30, tune in with us if you can onto Facebook, on Every Nation Facebook, and you will find us there praying together. We're also going to pray together every Wednesday evening. That's going to be from 7. And that's going to be on Carol Gosman's personal Facebook page. So you just go look up Carol and Gosman. They're not a whole bunch of them. I think there's only one and you'll get to pray together with us. We're putting out daily devotions. Those daily devotions are going to be on Facebook and Instagram. Please access those. And don't forget that we gather together digitally around the city, 9.30 every Sunday. We pray that God will bless you as we do that together. Amen. Amen. Church, let's pray. I just felt the Lord lay on my heart that there are a number of people that you are facing financial crises. And God, God wants to put an assurance in your heart that things are going to be good and well. I just, I just saw unusual opportunities opening up for you. I felt like God saying, even in this season where it seems impossible, see what I will do. I will, I will, I will be true to my promises. As you, as you continue to do the things that are right with your with your finances i will i will open up miraculous doors for you and i will be a father to you i will provide for you in ways you hadn't expected in fact during these times you will be better taken care of than the times when you have been able to provide without effort for yourself i hear the lord saying do not fear my sons and daughters for i'm with you there are also some people here that that you are facing inordinate amounts of anxiety. I just, I want to pray for you. Though, if wherever you are, if you're with someone who's experiencing that, won't you just put your hand on them? Otherwise, I'm just going to pray for that right now. In Jesus' name, I speak to the lies of the enemy that are plaguing these people's hearts who are feeling anxious right now, and that they sleepless nights, their times where their heartbeat is racing, where they just actually having anxiety attacks. I speak to that right now, and I command you to go. I say you will not. You will not interfere with these people. You will not lie to them that bad is about to come, that they, they are going to die, that something terrible is on the horizon. I want to speak to each heart. Even though you cannot see what is coming, be assured of this, that God is there. He's already made provision. He's already walked before you. Thank you, Lord. We just, we just seal that work. And we, Lord, we ask for great joy and hope to come in those hearts. Amen. God bless you.